So before I begin, just uh, thought I'd share a brief update on the Kaduri family, uh, Marundi and Denise. I know some of you have had a chance to interact with them a little bit and, and meet them. Uh, if you haven't learned the word uh, jumbo yet, that is, if you can remember jumbo the elephants, well, it's basically that. Jumbo is hello in Swahili. So if you see the kids hanging over the fence and, or in the playground and you say jumbo, they'll likely give you a big smile and a jumbo back. And if you can remember habari, that is how are you. And then they'll say nazuri, which is I'm fine. So that's about the extent of my Swahili right now. Um, that and Rafiki means uh, uh, friend. And if you've watched The Lion King and you know the phrase Akuna Matata, well, that's actually Swahili, and it means exactly what it does in the movie. Akuna Matata means no worries. So they had a good chuckle because they'd never seen the movie, but they knew the phrase. So I thought that was fun. This past week, just to give you a little snapshot of what it must be like for them coming to Canada, they've been in a, in a refugee camp since 2004. So, so over 13 years spent in a refugee camp, traveling nowhere, with um, only the basics of, of life provided there. And so this past week, when, uh, when I brought them a laptop and we had it hooked up to the internet, I may as well have brought the space shuttle in to show them how to run this thing, because their eyes were about this big, and I just took for granted, while I flip open the laptop, I turn it on, I open a window browser, I start showing them what I think is important, and they're like, hold on. The lid closes, <laughs> the lid opens, on, off. So we had to start at the exact basics. The first time ever they'd used a laptop, you know, things that I've done for so many years we just take for granted. And so there's a steep learning curve ahead of them, but uh, it's, it's really neat to see and to be a part of. So um, yeah, they're, they're doing very well, and I'm sure in no time, especially the children will be will be speaking English, and they're already learning phrases, so it's great to see and be a part of. So uh, they're very friendly. Feel free as you see them hanging over the fence or on, on Broadway. I'm sure you've probably spotted them already to say jumbo, hello, and uh, they're very responsive. All right, let's uh, turn to the Word of God now this morning, and as we do, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you most of all this morning for your Word and the power of your Spirit who speaks this word to our hearts, and that this word is living and active, that it brings conviction of sin, it brings about inspiration of how we can live our lives more obediently and more in line with your will. And Lord, there are even moments where your word speaks a specific message to us that there's something very specific you want me personally to do, to engage in, to advance your kingdom. And so whatever your intent for each individual this morning, through your word, I pray that it would be achieved, Lord. I ask that you would energize me to speak this word clearly and well, and that you would speak through me, your servant, to whatever end, to those who would hear. May we receive it as from you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning, I would like to begin by stating for you two fundamental questions that I believe are two questions that every single man, woman, and child who has ever lived have asked or wondered in some way, shape, or form. It's the sort of question that people might debate in a philosophy class. However, when it comes right down to it, it's a question that we all want the answer to. And the first question is this. 
Does my life have significance? Does my life have significance? Another way of saying this would be, does my life matter? On the grand scheme of things, does my life have any any impact on history, on after I'm gone? Will people notice that I'm here, or was I just a blip on the radar, here today, gone tomorrow, and everyone forgets shortly thereafter? Does my life have significance? That's the first question. And the second one is like it. Does my life have a higher purpose? Does my life have a higher purpose? Does my life have more significance in what I do than just getting by, than just making a living and having enough food to eat? Thankfully, God gives us emphatic answers to both of these questions in his word. We'll have a quick survey through some of the scriptures. If you want to keep up, you can. If not, just listen as I read these scripture passages for you. The first one is from our call to worship. Psalm 139, verse 16 says this. This is a psalm of David. Speaking to the Lord, he says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Then we move ahead to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 64 and verse 8. This time it is the Lord speaking. Pardon me. This is the prophet speaking to the Lord. Yet you, O Lord, are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Then we move to the New Testament. The apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verses 20 to 21. But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? Then Colossians 1 verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, And for him. And then, final passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, if you caught the common thread through all of these passages, what they are making crystal clear is that we were created by God for God. By God and for God. These two truths tell us everything that we long to know about the meaning of life and its ultimate purpose. And so question one again. Does my life have significance? Do I matter? And to this God responds, you matter because I, your creator, say that you matter. And if you wonder if that matters, well, if God says it matters, then that's all that matters. And that's the end of the matter. All right? Has everyone got that? Your life matters. Because God, the creator, the one who is the cause behind everything, if his opinion is that you matter, then that is truly all that matters. It it doesn't matter one hill of beans if someone else says whether or not your life matters. If your creator has ordained you with value, he says your life has significance, then you can take that to the bank. You matter because God says you do. Think of it like this. If you hadn't mattered to God, he wouldn't have made you. 
So the very fact that you exist proves you have tremendous significance. Your life matters. Question two, does my life have a higher purpose? Usually what is meant by this question is, does my life have some plan or purpose to it more than just trying to have as much fun as I can, trying to accumulate as much stuff as I can for as long as I can before I die? And to this, God's reply is emphatic. Listen again to this verse. I created your life. All, your, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And so, if the details of my life were written down in God's book before one of them came to be, that would tell me that what I do in my life has significant purpose, and it matters in the big picture if God took the time to write down the plan he has for my life. And if we agree with the statement, I was created by God and for God, then we must also reach the following conclusion. The only way to fully realize and enjoy your life's God-given significance is to fully submit to, pursue, discover, and embrace God's specific purpose and plan for your life. To do anything less is to live a life that is less than what the potter has crafted and created and intended us, the clay, to be and to do. It is, in essence, a life wasted when it is a life lived apart from God and his plans for us. That, my friend, is the greatest tragedy of all. A life that has squandered and wasted its God-made, God-designed purpose and potential to impact this life and eternal life. The well-known author John Piper writes this, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider this story from the February 1998 Reader's Digest. A couple took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect seashells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. That is a tragedy. God created us to live life with a single passion to joyfully display his supreme excellence in all the spheres of life. The wasted life is the life without this passion. God calls us to pray and think and dream and plan and work, not to be made much of, but to make much of him in every part of our lives. The life wasted versus the life fulfilled. You see, most people, and sadly many Christians included, simply drift along without any sense of purpose or direction in their lives. Their loftiest goals being to simply have fun, stability, peace, comfort, and of course all the money and health with which to enjoy these things for as long as we possibly can. Now, of course, we don't want to diminish... <clears throat> We don't want to diminish the fact that God has given things in our lives for our enjoyment. God is not someone up in the sky saying, don't have any fun in this life. No, he has given us many things that he delights in us enjoying. 
in their proper place. See, this is the most important thing we have to lay hold of here. We need to have our life in proper priority. Things need to be in their proper place. Many Christians have placed the joy and pleasure of life not in their proper place, not somewhere beneath God and his purpose for us, but instead on the top rung as the highest aim and purpose for life, as though this was all there was and God had nothing more for us than to enjoy stability, peace, comfort, and the finer things of life. You see, God has designed us for more than this, far more. Now, this may sound like a strange question, but let me ask you this. Are you more of a salmon or a jellyfish? Has anyone ever thought of that before? If you were to picture a jellyfish right now and picture the salmon, which one would you compare yourself to the most, a salmon or a jellyfish? Okay, let me fill in the blanks a little bit for you on the difference between a jellyfish and a salmon. Maybe you don't know very much about them. The jellyfish. I've watched these on documentaries before. I've seen them on screensavers. And the jellyfish just kind of are there in the water, just kind of puffing, floating, drifting about. They are odd-looking creatures. At least I think so. They're quite odd. There are numerous species that are puffy in different shapes, long tentacles. Some of them are tiny, only this big. Others have tentacles that can grow to be many feet long. Jellyfish live solely in the ocean or in fish tanks. They have some mobility, but it's quite limited. And even though they have the ability to sort of puff along from one place to the next, they never really use this ability to go anywhere or pursue anything. They're moved about primarily by wherever the wind, the waves, or the tide takes them. Whatever comes along their way, they will try to eat it to sustain themselves, but they won't even hunt to pursue food. Their entire lives, they simply drift about, stinging, eating, and surviving until the day they die. Occasionally, one will wash up on the beach, and if you're not careful, if you step on it, you might get a nasty sting. I wouldn't know, because I've never been at a location that's had these before. Has anyone ever seen a jellyfish before? Anyone ever seen one? A couple of you have, up close. Have you ever been stung by one? Apparently, it can be quite painful. No one's been stung. That's good. But this is about their existence. That's the jellyfish life. Then by contrast, something we're probably a little more familiar with is a salmon. These fish begin their lives in freshwater rivers and lakes. But not long after they're born, they begin a long swim downstream. Their destination is the ocean. And it is here in the ocean that they spend the majority of their adult lives. But then something very strange happens. It is here where suddenly a, a switch gets flipped. Scientists don't even understand how this happens or why. But at some point, the adult salmon living in the ocean begins to swim back home. Though they may have swum by this point thousands of miles from that original river where they were born. With uncanny precision, better than having a built-in GPS, they head for home. They find that river... They swim upstream against the current of the river, and no obstacles, whether rapids, waterfalls, or dams, will deter their progress. They are determined to reach the point of their origin. I recall on one occasion watching fish climb what's called a fish ladder over a hydroelectric dam. Has anyone ever watched this before? Fish going up a a fish ladder? Has anyone else seen this? 
It's, it's incredible how determined these little creatures are that they are going to go not just upstream, but uphill. And they, they flip and throw themselves up out of the water to the next step. And then they'll thrash about and flip and throw themselves as many times as it takes to make the next step and the next step until finally they are over this obstacle. And this is what the salmon do. Nothing will stop them. And incredibly, though they've been gone for years, researchers have discovered that most salmon return to the exact spot where they were born. I saw a documentary on one determined salmon that even swam incredibly through a maze of pipes, nudged open a grate to re-enter the fish hatchery where it was born. Then finally, after all of this, this incredible determined journey, reaching their point of origin, they spawn, they lay their eggs, and then shortly thereafter, they die. The new salmon are soon hatched, born, and repeat the process. And so as you honestly evaluate your life at this point, let me ask you again the question. Are you more like a jellyfish or a salmon? Does your life have a drive or a drift? Are you just kind of floating along like a jellyfish from here to there, carried about by circumstances or, you know, other people other people's plans, what other people think you should do, but you don't really have any destination of your own. You don't have any passionate determination to get there. Then chances are quite good that you're living a jellyfish sort of a life. You're existing, but you're not really going anywhere. And I don't think that I need to tell you this, but I will anyways. (laughs) This is not God's will for your life. This is not God's plan for your life. And I believe that deep down, this is not what you want for your life either. So listen to the words of the Apostle Paul as he warns believers against living empty lives that vainly pursue worldly pleasures and purposes instead of God and his purposes. It's a very pointed word that he speaks to the Ephesians in chapter 5 and verses 14 to 17. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So here we see in this passage, according to Paul, to be spiritually asleep, unwise, and downright foolish is to pursue worldly pleasure, being careless or lazy and squandering your God-given opportunities and to not understand his will for your life. To simply float about is, in the words of the Apostle Paul, a foolish, unwise life, one that fails to realize its ultimate significance and purpose in God. And the problem with that kind of a life is that it doesn't realize its full significance or accomplish anything of eternal value for God's kingdom, the kingdom that will last. And inevitably, the question is asked, well, if I live a jellyfish sort of a life, does that void my salvation? Usually that question gets asked somewhere along the line. Before I answer that question, let me just say that that's a jellyfish sort of a question. It's a classic. 
Why? Because the attitude that underlies that sort of a question is this. What is the absolute least that I can get away with doing for God and still go to heaven? What's the bottom rung? Because that's what I'm aiming for. That kind of attitude is the jellyfish attitude. It is not the attitude that God would have for any one of his children. And so let me just answer the question. In regards to salvation, Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 9 clearly, emphatically states, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So let me be 100% clear on this matter. Salvation is solely a gift of God that can be received only through his gift of grace. It cannot be bought or earned, nor is it something that the giver will come and take back if you haven't worked the sufficient amount of time after receiving it. That's not the way God is. It is really and truly an extravagant gift of God's grace, period. End of story. Well, not really end of story. Because now, having firmly established that salvation cannot be earned or kept through our good works, we need to continue reading into verse 10 of this exact same passage. He says this in verses 8 and 9, but then verse 10 adds this. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, we were made by God's hand, created in Christ Jesus, saved by Christ Jesus' shed blood, given the free gift of salvation. Why? For what purpose? What is the end of all of this? so that we could float around like jellyfish in this life and then put up our feet in heaven for the rest of it in eternity? No, not a chance. This is not God's will. This is not God's purpose for those who would receive his salvation. It's so that now we can live the life of a salmon, that now knowing that heaven is our home, we set our sights on getting there and we start swimming upstream with determination. And whether jumping rapids or climbing fish ladders, we don't let any obstacles of this life stop us from doing the good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out on anything that God has planned for my life. Let me just say that again. I don't want to miss it. God has plans written down in his book for my life. And I don't want to miss those plans. I don't know what this does for you. But it absolutely excites me that God has my name, Danny Greening, written down in his book with a column beside it that reads, Good Works Prepared for Danny to Do. That excites me. And when when God has a plan with my name on it, it doesn't have anyone else's name on it. It's good works for me to do. And let me just say, he's got your name written down with a column beside your name. Good works for you to do. Not anyone else's name, not my name, your name. God has plans. He has good works for you to do. The recipient of his free gift of salvation, he has called, invited, said, enter into the good plan that I have for your life, and it's going to be something that's going to be worth all of the effort. Now, knowing all of this, it motivates me. 
This is what gets me out of bed in the morning. And you know I'm not a morning person. But knowing that God has a plan for my life, and, and we read earlier, make the most of every opportunity. Don't drift your way past all the opportunities God is laying out again and again and again. Every day, more opportunity. Don't drift past them. Make the most of every opportunity. This motivates me. This is what keeps me working on yet another sermon, leading yet another youth night, visiting another hospital bedside, going to another meeting, listening, counseling, helping, giving, or teaching. This fuels me. And of course, it's not always easy being a salmon. In fact, I've learned that it can be incredibly challenging and tiring at times. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14 this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, usually we look at that passage in the context of finding salvation, which it is principally for, but this passage also tells us that the wide gate and the broad road is the easy way. It's the life of simply floating along downstream, not resisting the the flow of culture or the lures of the world. It just kind of goes with the flow. It's the easy way, the road traveled by most. And the only problem with this road, with this easy street, is that it leads to a wasted life, and in the end, if it's never repented of, Jesus says it leads to destruction, to death. But then he says the small gate, the narrow road, the upstream struggle, if you will, that is the road that leads to a significant and purposeful life now, and the end of it is eternal life without end. And the only problem is, because the gate is small, Only a few find it. And because the way is hard, fewer still stick to it until they finally arrive at their destination. Now, that might not be what you want to hear today. In fact, in many churches across the world today, the United States and Canada being no exception, in many churches, many preachers have been telling people for a long time that if they simply follow Jesus, everything is going to go their way all of the time. That they've followed Jesus, they've hitched their wagon to him, and now they'll be on easy street with no troubles or trials or woes or challenges of any kind. But the truth is, Jesus never said that following him upstream was going to be easy. In fact, he said this, If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. In other words, he's saying, be prepared to die to your own desires and pleasures and pursuits every single day, and be ready to lay down your life for my name at a moment's notice. That's why the cross is on your back. Now, that may not sound like an enticing invitation, not one that's going to attract a lot of followers, but Jesus did add a few key promises that I think we should be reminded of this morning as well. That for those that did take up their cross and follow him, here are the promises that you can count on. He promised he'll be with us to the very end of the age. He promised that his strength will be made perfect in our weakness. He promised that he will bear our burdens. He promised that he will give us rest. He promised that he will provide for our daily needs. 
He promised that he will satisfy our soul's thirst. He promised that he will intercede for us with God the Father. He promised that he will return for us one day and reward our faithfulness with a place prepared for us personally in heaven. Eternal rewards, crowns of righteousness, are awaiting those who are following him. And finally, he promises this admonition to the salmon life, those who will follow him to the very end, that we will receive the admonition, well done, good and faithful servant. Yes, swimming upstream is not easy, but I can tell you that it is more than worth it. And because I believe God's word and Jesus' promises to be true, I resolve every day to be a little less like the jellyfish and a little more like the salmon. To keep swimming upstream, trusting that all God's plans for me are good, no matter how hard they may appear right now. Believing that my life has significance, not because anyone else has given it significance, but because my creator has ordained my life with significance. I matter because he says so. And because he says so, My life has a higher purpose because God's plans are never temporary. They may look like they're just for today, but no, his plans have eternity in mind. And so their impact are eternal. We may not see what our faithfulness does right now, today, or tomorrow, but one day eternity will reveal what our faithfulness today has done forever. And so let me ask you just one last time. Are you living A jellyfish life, just floating along, or are you living the determined life of a salmon? Heaven is your destination, and that between here and there, you are going to live out your calling with determination. Nothing less than the plan that God has for your life to live out every last one of them. Last month, uh, you may recall some of you will have been here when Arvin Lowen spoke in our church. And Arvin, if you don't remember, he shared how he cycled across Canada multiple times in order to help raise funds and awareness for the Moli Children's Family Orphanage in Africa. I've since learned more of the full story of its founder, Charles Moli. And it's an incredible story and an incredible example of someone who decided to stop just floating through life and to swim upstream pursuing God's plan and nothing less. The Calgary Herald ran an article on his remarkable life. Charles Mully was born in 1945 in Kangundo. The first born in a family of eight, he was born at a time and in a family that wallowed in poverty. Mully grew up in lack, want, and hardship as each day presented more hard options than solutions to the predicament the family was living under. At the age of six... His parents left him in search of a better living, abandoning him under the care of his poor aunt with minimal resources to support him besides her own children. Things looked very grim. However, with a little help and a great deal of determination, he still managed to achieve a grade 8 education. After toiling as a child laborer at a coffee bean plantation, Mully would later parlay a job working for a large company in Nairobi, into his own taxi business. He started out with a single cab, one taxi, which day after day, 
He saved up his money, and this led eventually to a fleet of taxis, his own business, then a bus company, a transport company, and finally, an insurance company. By his early 40s, unspeakably, unfathomably, against all odds, Mully had become a millionaire. He says, I associated with big people, rich people. My home life was a happy one. My wife and Esther and I lived with our eight children in a beautiful large home on a big spread of land near the Kenyan town of Eldoret. And as incredible as his rags to riches story was, it makes an even more radical turn. In 1986, while in the city of Nairobi on business, Moli was approached by a group of street children as he was getting out of his brand new Mercedes-Benz. I knew giving them money was to encourage them to go and buy drugs, he says, so I ignored them. When he returned a few hours later, his high-status Mercedes-Benz was nowhere to be found, carjacked. The experience weighed on him heavily, but not because of the material loss. I saw myself in their eyes, he says of those desperate children. For the next three years, every time I closed my eyes, I saw the children everywhere. I could not go through the streets without seeing the children who were just as I had been. Mully, who had become a Christian as a teenage plantation worker in 1965, began to feel God had another plan for his life. And so in 1989, he sat down with his wife and children, and he told them that he wanted to quit his lucrative business, to sell it off in order to take care of those lost souls. People told my wife to take me to the hospital, he says with a chuckle. They thought I had lost my mind. Instead, his wife incredibly supported his plan to sell off his business and to take in street children. Soon, their large home had nearly 100 orphans of various tribes, sleeping in every corner of a house that underwent several additions until Muli could house them later on in dormitories. The children lovingly called him Papa Muli, and he would make time for each one of them as best he could. When he eventually ran out of, of, out of money and then food, He didn't know what he was going to do until others saw the incredible work that he had done and removed to step in and to begin to help. Today, that organization has 2,500 children under its care. In the time since it was founded in 1989, over 10,000 children were lifted from the streets and given a foundation and a hope for life. And today, of those 2,500 children on the campus, There are minor secondary and vocational schools. It's nearly 50% self-sustaining thanks to entrepreneurial initiatives as a farm that raises livestock and grows everything from cabbage and tomatoes to EU-certified organic French beans. And in all of this, when repeatedly asked by many people over the years what motivated Moli to give up his wealth and his business to rescue orphans, Moli simply affirms, God's plan is the best plan. And he also once said this, I believe you can transform the world, one child at a time. As a child, I wanted to be important, but where I am now is important for mankind. Here is a man who found that lasting significance, true significance, is not in making it by the world standards. It's in making it by God's standards. It's in accepting that God has a plan for my life, 
discovering what that is, and then going after it with a whole heart, holding nothing back. So let me ask you, do you want to have a life of lasting significance, one with a higher purpose? Do you want to do more than just drift your way through life? Then embrace this truth. God's plan is the best plan. Seek his path for your life and then pursue it with all the drive and determination you've got and with the ability that he provides. And then see what God will do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you that your plan is the best plan. And that for all of the plans that we come up with for our lives, for all of the things that we pursue, thinking they will fulfill us, Lord, we find that they're all a mirage. They're a chasing after the wind. There is no end to the pursuit of wealth. There is no end to the pursuit of selfish ambition or gain. There's no end to all of these things. And whenever we achieve or attain what we think will satisfy us, we find that it does not. And it doesn't matter how big the farm or the business or our career success might be. Apart from you, it is vanity. It is nothing. It is meaningless. But Lord, with you, and in you, and in your plan, oh Lord, there is satisfaction. There is significance. And there is a purpose that is far greater than simply trying to live through this life have as much fun as I can, gain as much stuff as I can for as long as I can, and then die. There's so much more to that. Your word says where our treasure is there, will our hearts be also. And so I pray, Lord, that today we would determine to stop just drifting through life and instead fix our sights on nothing less than heaven. That that is our destination, and like the salmon, we will drive with determination towards that eternal home, our final reward, which will be in you. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that today you will resolve within each one of us by your Holy Spirit that we will not be content with anything less than living out your plan and your will for our lives, that we would not miss it, that we would not waste a day or a moment, but that we would pursue you with a whole heart. For we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.